Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. WFAN and WFAN-FM New York, a radio.com sports station. Oh, 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 yeah, baby. Well, after our 8 o'clock update, it is Rick Wolf who's along with the Sports Edge program. And after our 9 o'clock update, Ed Randall will be by. He'll be talking baseball here on The Fan. And knowing Ed, he's liable to get into talking about a number of other things, too. On our program, we shift into a discussion with Neil Romano in uh, this hour of our program. Neil has an interesting background. He's chairman of the National Council on Disability and special advisor to the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainers Society, PBATS. And uh, he's kind enough to have uh, joined us for this hour of our program. Good morning. Welcome to WFAN, Neil. Well, good morning. Thank you for having me. It's nice to have you uh, join us. There are many areas to go in discussion. Um, I'd like to start with the National Council on Disability. We'll get into talking about PBATS in just a couple moments as well. But uh, you were appointed, as I understand, as uh, chairman of this organization in 2018. Can you explain what the council is? Sure. It's my pleasure. Thank you. Actually, uh, well, first of all, the National Council on Disability is an independent federal agency uh, that's responsible to provide the president, the Congress, and uh, and the administration with uh, uh, with independent thoughts about uh, about disability. Uh, we look at the whole field of disability. We look at it in the government, out of the government, and look at trends and how what we should be doing next. Uh, the council has uh, is composed of four uh, members that are picked by Congress, uh, the one by the, the speaker, one by the majority leader in the House, and the same in the Senate, and then five by the president. The, um, the, the current uh, group of people is uh, it's, it's nine, it's composed of nine people, and uh, you get elevated to the chairmanship by the president. So I was picked by Mitch McConnell. Uh, three years ago, actually four years ago, for the council, and was elevated to the chairmanship by the president. And in that role, um, mm-hmm. you know, how, I guess, how challenging does this become? Because that, to, to me, as I'm listening to you and thinking about this, there's a lot of areas that could be covered. That's, well, Every aspect, uh, every aspect of human life uh, is, is covered. So it, it can be extraordinarily challenging. Uh, we're very blessed to have a gifted board. Uh, we're also blessed to have a very gifted staff because uh, there are many, many issues. We deal with everything from uh, you know, f- uh, the sub-minimum wage for people with disabilities to uh, that presently is allowed under law. We deal with everything from that to... Uh, 
to animals aboard uh, aboard airplanes and in supermarkets, uh, all the ways to independent living standards, uh, how people with uh, disabilities, uh, we work and constantly to find ways to make people with disabilities as independent as possible in every stage and aspect of life. So when someone thinks of something as simple as a service animal uh, on board an airplane or something like that, those become very, very big issues uh, because you have obviously different senses and feelings on that. But uh, we, uh, we generally, our job is to come down on what is absolutely the best uh, for people with disabilities. In an age where we're, um, what is it now, 20 years almost past the time when the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed and signed into law. I mean, have we gotten a, a better handle on uh, how it is that we handle and understand disabilities in this country? Well, I'll tell you, we actually are in our 29th year. Uh, so it's actually past, going on to 30, 30 years. Okay, okay. Yeah, under 30, uh, under 30 years. But I have to tell you, we've done somewhat better. But it's, you know, it's like, uh, you know, it's like almost any civil rights issues. Um, you're always refining. You're always looking. There's always something that comes up that was unexpected. So, for instance, when, uh, you know, when, when the Americans with Disability Act first uh, was uh, signed into law, we didn't have the Internet. Now we do. Uh, people, people's lives, you know, are basically run online uh, in many ways. Well, is that accessible for people with disabilities? Uh, are people who are blind being left behind in that arena? Are, you know, uh, are, they, are people who are deaf uh, being left behind in that arena? Things like that are looked at. We've gotten a handle on the fact that the very, very nature of society, the way it works, and this is all societies, the very nature of society is that you have to learn to look at every, every member of society and figure out how these changes impact them. So um, we've gotten better, only in that we've gotten better, that we, uh, we need to look, uh, you know, we need to understand and respect uh, what people need. Sometimes we figure that out. Sometimes a group like mine, uh, the council, will figure it out. Uh, we recently had a, um, had a tremendous, uh, I guess it could be called a victory, and after all of this time in society, uh, we have just gotten agreement uh, from, uh, from the dental community that they uh, are responsible to treat people with disabilities, especially people with intellectual disabilities. Sometimes they have been passed over in their treatment, uh, primarily because they, are, they could be hard to treat, they, they could be different. But the fact of the matter is, the dental schools and medical schools need to learn better how to deal with those folks so that they get appropriate care uh, and equal care. So, you know, uh, and we just had that signed uh, into, uh, you know, the dental, uh, dental colleges and dental associations agreed that, to that. So, I mean, things like that become uh, very, very important uh, because you, you find those. And then, you know, a lot of times, you learn about stuff through litigation. Uh, 
Um, the Americans with Disability Act uh, was recently uh, was changed, uh, well, was renewed about 10 years ago with the uh, Americans with Disability Act as amended. And during that amendment, one of the things that was done, it was made clearer about uh, how people would be allowed to engage um, uh, with, regard to, uh, with regard to litigation. And frankly, litigation is one of the ways that we find out a great deal of the problems associated with, you know, it's something is wrong, people will litigate it, and then we have an opportunity to work on it. This whole idea of, I'm going to stick with this um, discussion on the Americans with Disabilities Act for a, a moment or two here, yes, because very often um, the issue of accommodation uh, comes up. Um, is that, I mean, have, has there been a better idea of exactly what that means because it seems that that's so, in a way, open to interpretation. Well, you know, accommodation. It's funny. I, I have been. Uh, I've been for twenty-five years on a uh, on a little rant about accommodation in the workplace. For instance, I, I have called it shouldn't be called accommodation. It should be called a productivity enhancement. Nothing more, nothing less. Uh, and accommodation is just giving a person the opportunity and the tools to be able to do the work that they need to do. Um, you know, I, I don't, people uh, would not consider today a good computer an accommodation. Uh, they would consider it uh, for a writer. They would consider it standard and normal. Uh, accommodations are really, really designed to help, the, to help people with disabilities perform at the same level as others where they can um, and to bring them to the best that they can possibly be. It's interesting because there's no place else in society where when someone asks for something to be able to perform their job better, that we call it an accommodation, like we're doing them a favor, uh, we call it uh, someone who's trying to get their, their work done. Um, I've always said to people, what good is having someone on the job or someone in the community or someone somewhere who's only allowed to achieve 10%, 5%, 20%, when giving them the opportunity to do certain things like, uh, you know, giving them the accommodations that they need in transportation and so on would increase their opportunities. I mean, for some reason, people consider, um, uh, consider vehicles uh, that uh, can handle wheelchairs. Um, someone calls a taxi or something, they call that an accommodation. Well, I mean, I don't think any of us would consider it a favor uh, who are not in wheelchairs. Uh, to uh, to be able to call a cab or get on a bus or something or on an airplane and accommodation. It's the normal flow of life. So accommodations most of the time, most of the time, and by the way, in the, in the ADA, they call it reasonable accommodations, not, not going far out on the limb in most things. Accommodations are designed to give people access. Interestingly enough, when businesses initially were asked to do some significant accommodations in bathrooms and things, uh, uh, I remember the big fights back uh, 30 years ago about the accommodation of putting in, uh, you know, putting in curb cuts. You look at our society now and, uh, you know, accommodating bathrooms, accommodating curb cuts, things like that, everybody used them. You go down to the garment district in New York and curb cuts are used more by people pushing uh, pushing uh, clothing than uh, used by people wheelchairs, but they're still extraordinarily valuable, and nobody would want to see them go. 
the voice of Neil Romano, who is chairman of the National Council on Disability, special advisor to the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainers Society. He's our guest in this hour of our program on the fan. What we're going to do, Neil, is take a pause in our discussion with you. Come back. I also want to touch upon this uh, something you mentioned earlier about the um, issue of minimum wages for people with disabilities, and then we'll get into talking about PBATs. I'll mention as well that for those who are listening to our discussion today, um, perhaps a chord is struck by something that Neil is sharing with us, you can join our discussion, 877-337-6666. Radio.com. It's Sunday morning on The Fan. Good morning, everybody. This is Bob Salter, and Rick Wolf is along with Sports Edge program after our 8 o'clock update. Neil Romano is our guest this hour of our program. He's chairman of the National Council on Disability, special advisor to the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainers Society, PBATS, and he's uh, talking with us. National Council on Disability, by the way, is on the web at ncd.gov. Now, earlier in this discussion, you mentioned the idea of um, part of your work with the National Council on Disabilities in this area of minimum wages for people with disabilities. Can you provide us with uh, some background on exactly what is happening there? Sure, Bob. Um, well, it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, people with disabilities are the only group in the nation um, who can perform exactly the same task as someone else um, and be paid less. Um, in, uh, during the, uh, during the administration of Franklin Roosevelt, if you can believe that something's still hanging on since then, uh, during the administration of Franklin Roosevelt, uh, uh during uh, bad economic times, uh, they put a thing in called subsection 14C of the Fair Labor Standards Act that allowed people with disabilities to be paid less, uh, so that they could continue to be in society. At the time, uh, even Franklin Roosevelt said if it lasted too long, it would be a blight on the nation. Well, here we are 82 years later, and we still have places that can pay people uh, with disabilities less. Now, uh, let me suggest a couple of things. The first thing I want to suggest is that, you know, we have to understand that there are people who are used to that. There are people with disabilities who have been paid that, and their families um, need to be respected and loved for the fact that uh, they want to keep their their people, their children and family members with disabilities working under those standards. But the fact of the matter is subminimum wages basically says that someone is not as valuable as anybody else in society. As we we in society today are fighting for, people are fighting for a $15 minimum and so on, there are people in America that are actually doing work and getting pennies an hour. There are people who are going home after 40 hours and getting a paycheck of under, sometimes under $50 uh, for uh, two weeks' work. It, it just appears that in the flow of American history, as we are doing everything we possibly can to elevate people and to find a way to make everyone equal to everyone else, that this is one of the most unreasonably unequal things that's done to people, and it's done to people with disabilities. Uh, I have often suggested if people think that this is a great jobs program, uh, then why don't we use it for other segments of the population? And immediately that gets an uproar. 
because everyone knows it's it's not a good way to do business. But as I said, part of the part of the reason it hangs in there um, is because there are these large organizations a that do this. Uh, a lot of people don't know it. They do business with these groups. Um, and the other thing is some families are very comfortable with their their children, um, even sometimes their very old children, you know, 40, 50, 60 years old, being in these workshops uh, for uh, 30 years uh, or more, making less than minimum wage. But, you know, as I'm listening to you say that, I'm thinking what that must do to those those individuals, you know, in terms of, yeah, there's a certain sense of self-esteem and maybe being part of something and having a job. But if you're not getting paid even minimum wage and, you know, you're um, capable of being knowledgeable about that fact, that's got to eat away at you. You know, Bob, um, you hit the nail on the head in just about every aspect of this question here. Uh, Yes, there are people that feel that having folks engaged in something, going somewhere, doing something is good. Uh, But the fact of the matter is that we do not test these people hard enough. We do not work enough to determine what it is they want. And I have been to dozens and dozens of these places during my career and had conversations with the people who work there. Uh, And I've asked them, I said, um, you know, uh, would you like to make more money? And they immediately respond, yes, like any other employee. It's pathetic to think that a person can work for two weeks, and at the end of two weeks, they don't have enough money to go to a Walmart and buy themselves a cheeseburger and a pair of sneakers. It's impossible. That, to me, is, is just wrong. So from the other point of view, um, it's you're not allowing these folks to be part of society, and of course, they're going to have, and their families are going to have a view of them as not being capable because they're put in a situation where they're not being asked to excel or achieve. Many of these folks, historically, who have escaped these programs and gone out on their own have gone off to have very good livings and to live like the rest of us. So it's a, it's a very, very difficult situation because it is the law. Um, these, these groups and institutions have done this for a long, long time. Uh, it is a, uh, it's, it's a financial portion of the work they do. Um, and it's been very, very hard to change. We've, uh, the National Council on Disabilities has a very, very long history of being against it. Uh, recently the Congress, uh, took a vote, um, on, uh, submit on minimum wages. And that was in there, and it passed for it to uh, uh, it passed in the bill um, to get rid of it. It has consistently had that, but it just never makes it through uh, both houses and so on uh, to uh, to get rid of it. It's it's a very very contentious issue. Mm. We've alluded a couple of different times to PBATS, the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainers Society. Tell us about that entity. Well, the Professional Baseball Athletic Training Society are those wonderful guys that run out on the field. Um, uh, that's they, it's composed of the Stevie Donahues of the world, uh, guys that um, you know keep those players going, 
they are part of the, uh, I'd say, the, the tip of the spear of the medical teams uh, in Major League Baseball. Uh, they have the hands-on with the players day in and day out, and I have had the honor over the last uh, almost 30 years of being an advisor to them. I started with Tibet uh, when I used to work with um, Joe Garagiola, and we worked on tobacco issue together. And the uh, when we were working on uh, working on chewing tobacco and the elimination of chewing tobacco in baseball um, uh, with Joe. Uh, the professional baseball athletic trainers were the guys who stood up and said, yep, this has got to go and we're going to help you. So it's been a long relationship with them working on important health, uh, health issues. When that first was taking place, that standing mm-hmm. up and, you know, engaging in a battle, what was the reaction like? I'll tell you what, it wasn't easy. It truly wasn't easy. Uh, there were so many different segments um, of people within the game who were concerned. Obviously, the tobacco uh, community was not happy uh, mm-hmm. at all. Uh, but the fact of the matter is that, um, you know, we've had so many people uh, over the years that we met with and talked to who were, you know, had precancerous conditions or who have now gone into a full-blown cancer. Uh, it warranted what we were doing. So, um, and, and, you know, we all know now that oral tobacco, we brought that to the attention of the American people with baseball. We know that, uh, we know that oral tobaccos uh, are very, very dangerous. They're still tobacco, uh, and, they are, and they cause cancer. But the bottom line was that at that time, I mean, we had to deal with a lot of different situations. The ballplayers uh, looking at it as kind of, you know, this is something we do. And we wanted to make sure that they understood that we weren't looking at them. The big change came when we let them understand. We weren't seeing them as bad people. They were addicted people. (laughs) That's the problem. Uh, And once they realized we were truly on their side, that we truly cared about them as human beings, well, it changed the tide, and it became something the players became active. And, you know, I wound up, uh, we wound up working uh, with the unions at the time and the commissioner's office. Um, and they were in concert to see that it was lessened and lowered uh, across the board. Now, in every ballpark, there are activities and events known as play, P-L-A-Y events. What are those? (laughs) Uh, Play stands for Promoting a Lifetime of Activity for Youth. Once again, it's uh, PBATS stepping out to do something beyond uh, beyond the, uh, the, the, the clubhouse, beyond the dugout, to talk to the American people about health. Promoting a lifetime of activity for youth is designed to um, have young people understand that they need to be out there and having fun and getting uh, getting a little bit of exercise, playing, uh, and enjoying themselves. So in all 30 ballparks across the uh, United States, um, the athletic trainers run a half-a-day seminar where they bring in, where children are brought in uh, to spend a half a day where we have conversations with them about everything from, um, from anabolic steroids to good nutrition uh, to, uh, uh, to a healthy lifestyle in general. And while we do that uh, throughout the day, we do things like home run hitting contests, running contests, uh, you know, uh, skills contests with the athletic trainers, showing them how to stretch, showing them how to do that. We make it a lot of fun. Uh, with just little bits of uh, uh, with just little bits of information in between, we talk to the young people, we talk to the parents, 
And one of the great things about this, Bob, about the play campaign, is it keeps evolving over the years. Um, for the last three years, we have had um, children with intellectual disabilities who are now fully integrated into the program. And by the way, that is the first time in the history of American sports that children with disabilities have been fully integrated into a regular sports clinic. Nothing special for them. Absolutely nothing special. They're brought on the field. They're put out there. By rule, they have to be integrated with the other children. So you have children with Down syndrome. It's, it's doing every single thing the other children do. And it is a remarkable thing to see. Uh, Bob, it, it, many people, it brings tears to their eyes. To me, it just brings, it's pure joy. Uh, the athletic trainers just love it. And, you know, they, they love working on it because what they find out is not only is it, you know, do these young people fight to achieve like anybody else, but what they find out is with the integration of children with disabilities into uh, these, these training, these clinics, these baseball clinics, you know, this is part of the whole baseball clinic, baseball play, play ball, play. This is all part of that kind of thing. The integration of this clinic, of these clinics, the children who would be considered regularly abled, whatever that means, learn from the kids with disabilities and vice versa. And all of a sudden you see the incredible scene of, you know, a young person who is supposedly there to get an education about, you know, good health and everything, helping a kid with a disability line up on a tee to hit a ball. Mm. And they're working together and they're talking together and they're playing together. And suddenly the, the barriers of, you know, uh, abled and disabled and intellectual disability and non-intellectual disability is, uh, is, is blurred and, and obliterated. Uh, I have had athletic trainers, uh, many of them. Um, uh, uh, Ron Porterfield is presently the president of, uh, of uh, PBATS. Come and say, he said, you know, you, have, you, just, you just cannot believe how excited the, the grounds crew are, the, the players when they meet these kids and see everybody working together, how excited everybody is for that. And uh, we're working, uh, uh, PBATS works in conjunction with the National Down Syndrome Society on that and, uh, and, the, um, uh, and the people at the Rudiman Family Foundation who help provide some of the support to get the young people there and things like that. I so it's a wonderful event. I want to talk about the foundation, talk more about um, the play events as well. We're going to take a pause in our discussion, talking with Neil Romano on our program on The Fan this Sunday morning. We are in a discussion with Neil Romano on our program. He has a very impressive background. Uh, he is the chairman of the National Council on Disability, special advisor to the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainers Society, PBATS, and he's been talking about um, PBATS uh, efforts with the play events, um, this portion of our program. Now, before we pause for our update and messages, you were talking about the support that has come for this effort from the Ruderman Family Foundation. Would you tell us a little bit more about that? Sure. The, uh, uh, the Ruderman Family Foundation is a wonderful group out of Boston, uh, led by Jay Ruderman, 
which uh, has provided support on issues uh, surrounding disability, but they've also they also are noted for providing support uh, for uh, expanding uh, uh, Jewish culture uh, in the United States and around the world. Uh, it's uh, Jay and I had met uh, and we're working on some other issues and. Uh, we both found out that we were unbelievable baseball fans. Uh, he, he a Red Sox fan, myself a Yankee fan, oddly enough. And uh, we started talking about baseball, and we talked about the play program. And the next thing you know, we started talking about integration of children with disabilities into, uh, into the play campaign uh, and the play program because uh, we truly believe uh, that that integration is important. So the Rudiman Family Foundation uh, helps uh, supply some of the funding for that campaign. Um, uh, they have been tremendous partners over the last couple of years, and uh, that's very, very important to us. As uh, part of the play campaign, we have we do have partners like the Henry Schein Foundation, uh, and they help out with uh, also uh, providing us with uh, some resources, and they give all the children gift bags of toothbrushes and things like that. So, uh, but very, very important foundations. The Rudiman Foundation in particular has, uh, has had a long, long history of uh, making a huge impact, uh, both uh, now in baseball with this campaign that we work on with them and uh, doing other things in the entertainment industry uh, and uh, just being a leader in the thought uh, field of uh, disability across America. Well, speaking of leaders, I mean, it would seem, and correct me if I'm wrong on this, that Major League Baseball is a leader in these efforts when it comes to professional sports teams. There's absolutely no doubt about that. I mean, uh, Major League Baseball is, uh, you know, one of the reasons I have uh, worked uh, the better part of the last 35 years in and around Major League Baseball on programs is because they are leaders, is because they do recognize uh, that what they do, other people see, and uh, it's a huge platform. Uh, I love working with Major League Baseball because they recognize that uh, they have uh, their fans uh, are are all important to them. Uh, this commissioner in particular, his whole push to have people play ball, that's an important, important thing. And that's why uh, the, us in, in PBATS and in play, recognize the the importance of integrating children with disabilities into what is a regular campaign, a regular uh, sporting event, and making it no different than anything else, because it demonstrates. Baseball has the opportunity in a very friendly way to demonstrate to the American people, uh, you know, uh, the way we should be working with other people. I mean, baseball crossed the color line before anybody thought about crossing the color line with Jackie Robinson. Uh, he's an inspiration, I think, still inspires baseball uh, every single day to do better, to achieve, to go further. And frankly, I see the work that's being done by play and the play ball campaign and play in general uh, to be an extension of that. Just saying, hey, let people do what they can do. Don't assume what they can't do. Allow someone to do what they can do. And baseball has done that consistently. I mean, with regard to people with disabilities, you can go back as far as the beginning of the last century with William Hoy, who was deaf and played baseball. Right here in New York, we had the great Jim Abbott throw a, a no-hitter, and the man had one hand. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, baseball said, hey, if you can play this game, play this game. We don't care what you do have or don't have. We don't care what you need. Go out there and win, and you're a baseball player, period. And they're saying that right now to children. They're saying that to everybody. Get out there and do this game because it's a great game. And that's something you, it's hard to do in other sports. It really is. I mean, there, there's, there's a difference. But baseball is amazing uh, in that you can do that. Uh, I had a conversation recently with a group of uh, people uh, who work with folks with autism. They said baseball is, for young people with autism, a great game. It is a game of statistics. It's a game of numbers. It's a game that you can follow because it has a certain pace. All of these things make this, uh, in my mind, uh, the greatest game ever made. Well, is there or has there been any interest from any of the other major sports? I have to tell you, we haven't done a great deal. We haven't tried to do a great deal with them because, frankly, um, it's not something that, you know, I, I work with I work with PBATs. Mm-hmm. But the fact of the matter is, it's uh, they do have they do have things, but once again, the huge difference is, is that they have like disability days where they have just children with disabilities. In baseball, we integrate everybody together, right? Because that's what society is really like. I mean, the integration is the single most important part of the play program. Uh, is that everybody gets a shot, you know, uh, at the exact same level. Because you know what? In the final analysis, Bob, that's the way life is going to be. You know, you can't put people in packages and decide what they can and cannot do. When we were talking before about 14, that to me is one of the greatest problems. You've made a decision very early on in a person's life what they can't do. And that's very, very unfortunate. Mm. When we're talking about um, the efforts associated with PBATs, with National Council on Disability, I also would like to share with folks listening to us um, the fact that you've had um, a battle of your own personally um, that you have waged. It was featured back in, I think it was 2015, in an article I was looking at uh, earlier in USA Today. Would you tell us about that? Sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. I, have, uh, I, I was born with uh, very, very serious dyslexia. So I actually have a learning disability. Um, but uh, people have always kidded around me in the field about the fact, well, you've got one of those invisible disabilities, Neil, but it's a disability. Well, I gave them the opportunity to change that up a little bit. Uh, in 2015, I was diagnosed with a very rare form of, uh, and a very violent form of leukemia. Mm-hmm. And I have what's known as PLL. Um, I spent uh, almost 18 months in hospital. Uh, but I have to tell you, Bob, um, you know, I guess a couple of things that are, for me, were interesting about that because I am now, um, six years post diagnosis, which is uh, considered somewhat, uh, somewhat amazing, and I'm blessed in that regard. But, you know, um, I look at it now as, number one, understanding more clearly that uh, one of the things about disability is we age. Uh, as we age, most of us will get a disability of some type. But uh, I learned uh, things about, about uh, 
well, first of all, I learned a lot about baseball. I have to tell you, I can't tell you how many people in baseball, how many members of the athletic training teams, how many different folks called, sent letters, uh, you know, talked to me on the phone. It was just amazing. Stopped by, you know, athletic pl- uh, trainers would be in cities. They'd come by and stop at the hospital. You can't imagine what that felt like for me. But the fact of the matter is you learn things. You learn that, you learn that even during the course of a chronic disease, uh, which I still have. I am not exactly the same person I was six years ago. I'm slower. My, you know, I, I don't move as well as I did in the past. I still have to deal daily with the chronic disease. The fact of the matter is there are a lot of Americans that are going to age into things like this or have these things. And the, I have been blessed with the opportunity to work with a group like PBATS who said, that's fine, Neil. Take your time. I guess that can be called an accommodation. You know, I guess you can call that, you know, uh, them saying to me, you know, Neil, uh, this is this is, you know, part and parcel of who we are. We respect the fact that sometimes we go on the injured list and that uh, we need to uh, take care of you between then and now. But you also learn as an individual uh, that these things don't necessarily have to slow you down. Um, You still can do what it is you want to do if you keep a positive attitude. And from my point of view, um, I felt um, extremely engaged with trying to get uh, people to understand, even through my, uh, my struggles, uh, that um, it, it was, uh, I, I was an example, I tried to be an example of still trying to do my job to my absolute best at all times. And recognizing the fact that sometimes, sometimes in our lives, we have to depend on other people for some of the basics. And it is a wake-up call when you are physically capable your entire life to all of a sudden find out things change. And even though I'm considered an expert or whatever in the field of disability, when you have it yourself, when you are suddenly debilitated, you recognize how sometimes it's difficult for people to deal with you and it's difficult for people to understand that you don't want things to change. You want to continue to work. You want to continue to get things done. So um, I'm, as I said, I'm extraordinarily blessed. Uh, I appreciate the the infinite amount of love and uh, I've had over the years. It's interesting that I got this appointment as the chairman of the National Council of Disabilities um, when I was quite ill and. Um, you know, I said, well, I'll do as best as I can, uh, you know, and try and work with you as long as I can. Uh, but we'll see where we are. And it's interesting because here I am now as the chairman. Mm. Did you ever or do you ever go through why me moments? You know, I never go through a why me moment, but sometimes I go through moments of thinking, um, so I, I wish that I I hadn't gone through this. I mean, I think everyone would be, I think you'd be less than honest to say, uh, you know, um, you'd be less than honest to say uh, that you don't, you know, say, well, you know, uh, you know, it, it's, it's a problem. But why me moments? No. Um, you know, everybody, uh, everybody at one point or another has to, um, you know, we have phases in life, you know, uh, and the phase of uh, getting older or getting a disease or frankly even dying are all part and parcel of uh, of life and to question it uh, you know the question why at that moment 
that happens. Uh, I think, uh, frankly, uh, you know, that's that's in uh, that's in God's hands, not my hands. Uh, and I accepted uh, I accepted the sixty great years uh, where everything works perfectly. Um, I think you have to. Uh, I, I think I've tried to show people that you accept uh, everything. Very interesting statement from uh, Neil Romano, who is chairman of the National Council on Disability, a special advisor of the Professional Baseball Athletic Trainers Society. Our guest this hour of our program on the fan shared an awful lot with us. Uh, National Council on Disability, by the way, on the web at ncd.gov. What sort of things can people find there? Well, we have, uh, we do. Um uh, the, the National Council on Disabilities, one of the things we do is that we publish lots and lots of uh, reports and white papers on issues in disability. And if you go on the site, you can, you can uh, look up a topic and find out just about anything you want, uh, whether it be our position, our accommodation, our position on, uh, uh, on 14C, our position on just about any major or, and even in some case minor issues. Uh, or, you know, issues that would not rise to uh, the top of your mind um, about things like, uh, uh, you know, training animals and so on and so on. So you'd find all of that on our site. It's actually really, really good. Interestingly enough, when you do go on there and you do see those reports, they're all downloadable. You can read them all. And they're the identical reports that we send to the, uh, to the White House and to the Congress. So you'll be looking at our advice. To them, and as I said, we have uh, we have a nine-member board made up of people, uh, some of the finest human beings I have ever had the honor of working with, uh, from across the United States, who advocate on behalf of people with disabilities, and a professional staff uh, that uh, works very, very hard to do an incredible amount of research to come up with our our thoughts and our answers to questions, and you'll find that on there. Neil, thank you very much for your kindness with your time. Also, the information you've shared with us, um, very insightful. Let's hope that some of the folks who are listening to us will uh, check out the uh, website. Uh, and uh, certainly the play events have been uh, very successful this year around the uh, major league parks, too. Certainly continued good luck with your work. Well, Bob, thank you very, very much. It's uh, been an honor to be on the fan. And, uh, I appreciate you and your time. Take care, sir. Thank you. Well, after our 8 o'clock update, Rick Wolf is along with the Sports Edge program this Sunday morning. Then after our 9 o'clock update, Ed Randall will be by. He'll be talking baseball here on The Fan this uh, Sunday morning. And uh, we are going to make way. We will see you bright and early next Sunday morning. As a matter of fact, I have a hint. <laughs> A hint, we may have a very special guest. Could be next Sunday, could be the Sunday after that. I wouldn't want to miss the show. As a matter of fact, I don't plan to. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.